Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship weekly podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. So we had just sat down to uh, some chips and salsa and other meaty goodness at the Papacitos in Arlington, Texas, with some dear church planter friends of ours who have planted Storyline Christian Community in Dallas. And Heidi and I were in a season of valley. We were in a season of weariness. We had been involved in church planting and had um, closed doors on a church plant and were in that God, why did you bring us out into the wilderness to leave us here kind of season? And we, we sat down to the chips and salsa and after some pleasantries and catching up, they asked us the question that we knew they were going to ask us. So where are you going to church? And we gazed down at our warm Papacitos hot sauce and then gazed back up to say, um, well, we're kind of dropping the kids off at the grandparents' church. But we visited this church up on I-20 and Trail Lake a little bit, and then we went into telling all of the amazing experiences that we had been a part of and seen during our visits at Christ Fellowship. And they interrupted us shortly into all of those descriptions to say, why don't you just go to church there? (laughs) And so... These are friends who we've known for years who speak deeply into our lives, and we said, all right. And so the first Sunday after that, I remember sitting here and watching a video, and the video was folks from Christ Fellowship, and and the, the format of the video was kind of like, I'm a computer programmer, and here's how I live on mission with Jesus. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and here's how I live on mission with Jesus. I'm a teacher in a local school, and here's how I live on mission with Jesus. And then the speaker that, that day began to speak about the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And I was like, all right, I'm in. (laughs) And so it is an honor uh, to be able to to preach on Sunday, December 31st, uh, the last Sunday as Christ Fellowship, as we move into life as Antioch, Fort Worth. Um, I just consider it a deep privilege um, and and an offering that I can give to you because you've done so much um, for Heidi and I. So if you would, let's bow together. Father, we glorify you. There is no one like you. We thank you that new life is found in you and you alone. We thank you, God, that you are about your work of new creation. And I just pray, Father, that you would stir in our hearts during this time. Holy Spirit, that you would move in us, draw us deeper and deeper in love and relationship with Jesus and each other to your glory and to your honor for the sake of all that you are doing as the kingdom of God breaks in and expands throughout our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you ever find yourself guest speaking at a church, here's what you need to do, okay? You need to start with a story, all right? That's just the way it's done. So go ahead and jot that down in your notes. You want to start with a story because stories do two things, okay? Number one, they give you a personal connection with your audience, and that's what you're going to want, all right? If they don't listen to anything you've got to say, you're going to need to have a personal connection with the audience. So whether they know you or not, they're going to feel personally connected to you as long as you tell a story at the beginning. The second thing is that stories awaken our imaginations, all right? Stories awaken our imaginations. They draw us in because as the storyteller tells the story, we think things like, 
hey, I've had that experience before, or, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened, or I wonder what happened next, okay? Ever find yourself speaking in a church? Start with a story. So I have really thought and thought this week about how to start this message with a story, because stories also are so prominent in our culture, okay? The whole Instagram story thing, I'm trying it. Like, just turned 40 a week ago, I know, like, I got the OLDs, but I'm trying it because I got to connect with folks, right? Snapchat, uh, sorry, I can't go there because I don't understand all, I've reached that age. Like, you reach the age, I'll just be real, soliloquy, sorry. You're going to reach the age, believe it or not, you won't believe me now, but it will happen. You will reach the age when Six Flags is not fun. I'm sorry, it's reality, it's going to happen, like, just know that it's coming. Live it up for now, but one day you're going to look at the Titan and you're going to go, mm-mm, not today. For me, it was the sequence of, first service didn't get this, by the way. For me, it was the sequence of Mr. Freeze, followed by Judge Roy Scream, followed by the sombrero. Like, that trinity wasn't good for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I can say that, but that wasn't good for me. And that was the day I knew Six Flags was no longer for me. Snapchat was my social media. Like, I'm good. Like, I'll stop at Instagram. I do a little Twitter, I do a little Facebook, and I'm good, because I don't understand all the buttons and emojis and swipes, and I just can't do all that. Um, but anyway, Snapchat and Instagram stories are another way that show us that stories are very important and are very, like, the way that our culture communicates. I'm also, let's just be real, like, I'm sick of seeing Nissan Star Wars commercials. Like, I don't want a Nissan. I haven't seen Star Wars. And I love that you no longer sell your products through a story you made up, but now you connect it to an overarching, popular, over-the-course-of-years story. I just don't want to see it 17 times during one football game. Um, so, you know, but again, stories. So, what story am I going to tell? Like, I thought about telling the, the Christ Fellowship 25th anniversary story. What an awesome Sunday on December 10th. So amazing for me to be a part of because coming in for the last two, two and a half years, I got to see the historical perspective of Christ Fellowship going back to 1993 and coming all the way to 2017 and hear from folks who had been a part of that journey. An amazing story. I thought about telling the story of my job change. Um, which is a great opportunity to be able now to go back to a school that I helped to start and to serve in the role of principal, to have 600 kids and about 35 adults under my charge. Um, what an amazing opportunity that I'm excited about. I thought about telling the story of my 40th surprise birthday party. I turned 40 a week ago and my wife filled a room with all kinds of folks from all different spheres of my life, which was amazing. To stand there in the doorway and hear surprise and see people from every layer of my life, all at the same time, going back to friends from high school, to friends from Christ Fellowship, to friends from work, from uh, friends from, from the local baseball team, all kinds of stuff was amazing. I thought about telling you the story of Ava. Ava's our five-year-old. She's a semester into kindergarten, and somehow, some way, she beat the entire family at apples to apples. <laughs> now, apples to apples is basically a card game where you got to guess what other people play. But here's the thing with apples to apples. Someone who reads on a kindergarten level should not win at apples to apples. She couldn't read the cards if they were anything beyond a CVC word. That's a consonant vowel consonant word, you know, dog, cat. And somehow she beat a family that includes two people with college degrees. Like, I don't get it. 
So the way that game went is everybody would play, and then whenever the, the person who's supposed to guess, like, the, oh, I think it's Heidi, I think it's Ryan, I think it's Tori, they would guess, and then when we would sit there, we would just wait. And if nobody responded saying, that's my card, we knew it was Ava's, because Ava didn't know what was written on the card. Somehow she beat the whole family, so I thought about telling you that story. I thought about telling you the story I posted on Facebook last night about my three-year-old, Sam. Heidi comes to me last night and says, I'm so sorry, Sam bit your headphones. She said, I don't know why I had to be concerned with whether or not Sam would bite your headphones, but I did pick them up off the floor so the dog wouldn't get them, and I put them on your nightstand, but apparently I should have put them on the top of the dresser so he couldn't reach them because he picked them up, bit them, and broke them. And so I go to Sam because I'm thinking as a parent, this is an amazing teachable moment. I will show you, three-year-old, the error of your ways, and I will show you how you move from darkness to light. I will show you, three-year-old, how you move from, like, doing things you shouldn't do to reconciliation, right? So I sit with Sam on the couch, and I say, Sam, did you do something to my headphones? I bit your headphones. Yes, I know that. And that hurts me. Those are my headphones. I don't have another pair. And so what do you need to say to me? There's a great parental prompt, right? What do you need to say to me? Our book will come out a little bit later, things not to do. So Sam's response to me is, I bit your headphones. Yes, Sam, I know that. And whenever we wrong another person, we want to reconcile that. We want to extend forgiveness. We want to make things right. So what do you need to say to me? And he looks me dead in the face and he says, nothing. (laughs) And at that moment, my parental dreams of reconciliation were put on hold. They were not dashed. They were put on hold. So I thought about telling you that story. But instead, what I want to do is I want to tell you a five-episode story about the Armed Forces Bowl. Don't worry. We're not going to talk about football. But I do want to tell you about my experience at the Armed Forces Bowl in five episodes. Episode number one, excitement. I was super excited to get to go to the Armed Forces Bowl. San Diego State was one of the teams playing. They actually practiced at the high school that I was working at, so I got free tickets, which was even extra awesome. I'd been to the Armed Forces before, Armed Forces Bowl before. I'd seen flyovers. Um, it's an amazing experience, and I was excited to go. That was episode number two. I'm sorry, episode number one. So I got in my Ford F-150 with no front bumper and 202,000 miles and drove up I-35 because I was going to pick up James Albright and Lloyd Ekpo, who were going with me. I was excited about that as well. But that leads into episode number two, which is adversity. Going north on I-35, I quickly saw brake lights. Nothing but brake lights. Construction, all kinds of stuff. I never saw an accident. I, I never saw anything other than construction equipment that no one was using. But for some reason, I ran into adversity, and I'm stuck, like bumper to bumper, going nowhere. Um, like, I'm, I'm going nowhere. And so I'm going through the mental gymnastics of, okay, if the time and get there and get that, whatever. And finally, after what had to have been 30, 45 minutes in traffic, like the Red Sea parts, and we start moving. And I can't tell you why. Never saw an accident, never saw any construction that was in progress. Um, but... We got through episode two, which was adversity, but that only brought us into episode three, which was more adversity. 
Because after picking up James right here in the parking lot, we proceeded and had to go down the service road and had to cross um, whatever the next street is and then Hewland Street to get back on the freeway. So more adversity became Hewland Mall traffic. Why are people shopping the day after Christmas? I don't know. I would figure that the days leading up to Christmas and Christmas morning, like that's probably enough. But apparently there were hundreds of people at Hewland Mall on the day after Christmas, which I had to maneuver cones, I had to maneuver police, like it took us more time. This finally led to episode number three. So make it through the mall traffic, pick up Lloyd. I've got Lloyd in the front seat and I got James in the back seat, all six foot three of James, like crumpled into the back seat. We arrive on campus at TCU looking for a place to park, and that is episode three, more, more adversity. And that is, where in the world are we going to park? So we pull into a parking lot, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is paid parking. Like, you can't park here. Okay, fine. So we drive a little bit more, and we finally find a free parking lot, which was amazing. Thank you, TCU, for helping us during the Armed Forces Bowl. As we pull into the parking lot, I had rolled down the passenger side window to talk to the parking attendant. Then we proceed through the parking lot and find our space. And this begins episode number four, which is more, more, more adversity. Because I go to roll up the passenger side window and it doesn't roll up. Lloyd, who's in the passenger side of the truck, goes to roll up the passenger side window, and it doesn't roll up. For those of you who remember the front collision warning sermon where I talked about our Honda Odyssey, don't you just love our cars? Anyway, that was free. Then I look down at the dashboard, and it's like my dashboard has become a video game. And all of the little lines, gauges, things are just going haywire. The battery thing is doing this. The speed limit thing is doing this. The gas gauge is doing this. And it's crazy town on the dashboard of my truck. And it's then that I realized this is a serious issue. Like, the truck is going crazy, and we can't roll up the window, and I ain't trying to leave my truck in a parking lot for a football game with the window down. So we try. I turn the truck off. I turn it back on. Nothing seems to be working. And that's when it hit me. I turned... And I looked at Lloyd, and I looked at James, and I thought, of the three of us, we're probably the worst three to be together when we're having some kind of truck problem. <laughs> like, none of the three of us are equipped, and I say it in love, none of the three of us are equipped to handle any kind of truck issues. So what in the world are we going to do? And so before starting like the prayer vigil right there in the parking lot. I turn the truck off one more time, turn it back on, and I can't remember if I was pushing the button or Lloyd was pushing the button, but the angels started to sing as the window began to rise up. And that leads us into the victory of episode number five, which is, it was a great game, and we had a great time. But story is so powerful, it awakens our imagination and it brings us into connection with each other. Because already you can think of an amazing holiday experience that you had, or your story with some kind of vehicle problems, or whatever the case may be, you find yourself in the midst of the stories. So what I want to do with scripture this morning is tell you, share with you, scripture in the form of story. So instead of going verse by verse or chapter by chapter, 
we're going to flow through the five scripture passages that we're looking at this morning. I'm probably going to do it in a little bit of a theatrical way because I want to awaken your imagination as we share the scriptures together. So you're going to hear me give things like stage directions, and you're going to hear me talk about cameras, and you're going to hear me talk about where people were positioned and conversations they were having. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to imagine the scriptures coming to life and these scenes unfolding before you. So if you would, come with me into episode number one. The camera pans across the assembly, revealing the participants in this community of Israel gathering. Scattered all over the dirt floor with community leaders sitting on benches, the people eagerly anticipated this time of worship. Since the Babylonian exile, sanctuaries of people had gathered like this to inspire obedience to God by recalling his covenant and law, as well as the redemptive promises of the prophets." The people did not want to repeat the sins of their ancestors. The service begins with a reciting of Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Through collective prayer and study, the assembly, or synagogue, became central to Jewish social life. Indeed, it is likely that the main focus of the early gatherings was to maintain the identity of the Jewish people living in a foreign and pagan country. In addition, out of this identity, the synagogue became a community center of sorts, for it functioned as a school, meeting place, courtroom, and prayer house. In small towns, the synagogue may have even been a lodging place for travelers. As a result of the synagogue, worship, study, friendship, community celebration, and community governance were all done by the same people in the same place. After zooming in on the Hazan, the synagogue pastor of sorts, the one who had organized the worship service and matched readers and scripture passages from members of the community, the camera shifts its sights onto the next reader. Then the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The camera remains fixated on him, but slowly zooms out to reveal the intensity on the people's faces. Quick close-ups reveal their piercing eyes, pursed lips, and forward leans. All that could be heard was the pants of the people eager to breathe in whatever today's speaker had to say. The camera locates the speaker and zooms back in, this time directly at his face. Jesus begins his sermon. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. The people were enchanted, fixated on him, and ready for more. Who knew that Joseph's son had grown into the local Jamie Miller right under our noses? Then, after this intriguing introduction, Jesus launches into the meat of his sermon. He proceeds to tell the hometown crowd that they will reject him. Next, he tells a story about God providing for a Gentile widow through a revered prophet. After that, he tells a story about a Gentile healed of leprosy during the time of another revered prophet when lepers in Israel at the same time were not healed. Before Jesus can land the plane and extend the altar call, the crowd begins to rise from their dirt floor seats. 
The camera behind Jesus reveals the community leaders jumping from their benches and with grimacing faces shouting at him in response to the sermon. In fact, the crowd mobs Jesus and forces him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. By now, the entire situation has become a riot and they intend to push Jesus over the cliff. But Jesus begins making his way through the crowd as the television broadcast cuts to commercial. Come with me into episode number two. The camera pans horizontally to reveal what appears to be the remnants of a parade. In the corner of the screen, we catch two people talking. That guy was the one who called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus was dead and Jesus called for him and he came walking out of the tomb, grave clothes and all. Having appeared in the shot midstream and overhearing the conversation of the people, a couple Pharisees roll their eyes and walk off. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. The camera shifts to Jesus as he replies, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels a plentiful harvest of lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus continues to speak as the camera fades out. Viewers still hear his words as a scene set around a dinner table fades in. Come with me into episode number three. The dinner table scene comes to life with smiles, laughter, high fives, sharing, encouragement, hospitality, and enough food and drink for everyone. The Jesus community was marked by the apostles' teaching, fellowship, awe, miracles, meeting together, sharing, worshiping, joy, generosity, praise, enjoyment, and growth. The camera catches the breaking of bread in remembrance and celebration of Jesus, the selling of possessions to help family members in need, and the daily welcoming of the new people into the community. Vibrancy, risk, and love were ever-present in this group of Jesus followers. The camera turns away from the dinner table to show an interview with one community member. The interviewee starts with this. It wasn't always this way. There was a time when we were scared out of our minds. We'd laid it all on the line with Jesus, and we just knew they were going to come for us too. It wasn't supposed to be like that, but in the end, we'd locked ourselves behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. But suddenly, suddenly before our eyes, there he was. We didn't open the door for anyone, and there he was standing before us. His first words, they were like water to our dry and cracking souls. He said to us, peace be with you. Oh, how we longed for his shalom. But then he showed us the wounds in his hands, the wound in his side, and we were filled with joy. He defeated death and everything he'd said and done. It was all beginning to make sense. And again, he said to us, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was like the breath of life that filled Adam's lungs. He told us it would be better for him to go away because he would send the helper. To be honest, at first, I thought he'd lost it. But now I must say we are completely changed because the helper has come. 
With the helper running alongside us, we are growing to know, to trust, and to risk with God each passing day. And just like he said, Jesus is with us even to the end of the age. The camera tilts back toward the community gathered around the table and sharing life stories together. They'd endured much, and indeed, he was with them. However, for now, they were unaware of the trials yet to come. Come with me into episode number four. The scene shifts to a narrator alone on the screen, seated in a black chair in front of a white backdrop. Looking up from the floor, the narrator begins. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But then, just a few chapters later in the story, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution, after Stephen's death, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. The narrator fades into the white background as her words come to life through action scenes now being shown on the screen. The narrator's voice continues. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in the faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. The screen goes white as the word Christians appears toward the center. Then the screen turns dark. Come with me into episode number five. A candle is lit as the darkness flees in all directions to reveal a courtroom scene. There is a man on trial, and it seems that we're picking him up a few minutes into an ongoing story. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Tell the people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future." And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. The camera pans the courtroom, revealing the responses of those present. Then the speaker resumes the story as the scene begins to fade. The beauty of any story is that there are chapters, there are scenes, there are episodes, and they're all connected. They're woven together, they build, they're linked because they're going somewhere. In response to these five passages and the linked story that they, they represent, I'd like to suggest two ways that these five episodes are connected. These are two ways that I believe these stories are going. The first is the napkinable story of Jesus. 
thought that was appropriate given that I spent some time at Starbucks this morning. Wrote some notes on my Starbucks napkin. The napkinable story of Jesus. I believe that you could take these five stories and over coffee or over dinner or over a conversation with a friend, you can tell the story of Christ. I also believe that you could tell the story of Christ in these five, five passages through emojis, but that's for another day. So episode number one of the napkinable story of Jesus is this. In Luke 4, we find Jesus' kingdom announcement. This is what the inbreaking kingdom of God is about. This is what the inbreaking kingdom of God looks like. When Jesus announces that captives are free, when Jesus announces that the year of the Lord's favor has come, when Jesus says that the blind will not see, he is announcing what the kingdom of God looks like. He is announcing that in him, God is bringing about the fulfillment of all the Old Testament stories and prophecies, that God is bringing together the fulfillment of all of those things in Jesus, and he's on the scene to announce it to anyone who will listen. He is quoting back to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and now bringing it forward into the present for these people to say that the kingdom of God is here and it's in him. The napkinable story, episode 1, is this kingdom announcement that Jesus makes in Luke 4. Episode number 2 in John 12, we find kingdom life. In this kingdom, death and burial lead to resurrection. In this kingdom, selflessness leads to service for others. In this kingdom, it is through things dying that we find life. And we don't just find some kind of happenstance random life, but we find a plentiful life. We find a harvest that is full. We find a harvest that reflects who Jesus is and is open to everyone. Episode number two in the napkinable story, we find kingdom life. I've been working through a a year-long reading of the Bible that I started here a couple weeks ago, and one of the devotionals in this, it talks about battles and blessings. And Jesus endures the battle of the cross, which leads to the blessing of resurrection and the blessing that resurrection is available to all who would put their hope and trust in him. This is that John 12, episode 2, Kingdom Life. The third episode in this napkinable story is that Acts chapter 2, Kingdom Community. Thank the Lord that we don't do this life alone. We are called to follow Jesus together. He has given us each other as a gift. And so there at the end of Acts 2, when you see people fellowshipping around the table, selling their possessions to serve others, where you see them worshiping and having joy and gladness in their hearts, are you kidding me? Like, what kind of community is this? In the midst of one of the most oppressive empires of of all time, in the midst of the Romans who created the cross as a way of showing their dominance, and basically, if you don't get with our program, this is what's going to happen to you, here's this subversive community of love who has fashioned themselves around one who would willingly die that all may come to know him, and they embody and live out his ways by serving the poor, by loving each other, and by selling their stuff to help other people pay bills. Amazing representation of kingdom community in Acts 2, which is episode 3. Episode 4, kingdom mission. We have stuff to do. When I was younger, I had a teacher explain that sometimes we, we explain the kingdom of God um, with a lake, and we're on the outside of the lake, and what we like to do sometimes is kind of jump in and get our feet wet and then get out real quick and hang out on the side of the lake because we're just kind of hanging out by the lake waiting for Jesus to come back. 
The kingdom of God isn't like that. The kingdom of God is like Jamie's described in, in previous messages. It's a rushing river, like heading somewhere, going and doing things, and thank the Lord he has tasks assigned to us to be about. Like we have things to do. You have gifts and talents. You have ways that you've been inspired and rejuvenated by the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's stuff to do. And it doesn't matter where you are in, in the seasons of life. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you come from. All of those things are leveraged for the advancement of the kingdom. All of those things come together in a beautiful tapestry called the church so that we might be God's witnesses to the world. This is that episode four, that kingdom mission. We have things to do. So from about, uh, from about 1998, until 2011, I was in some form of um, full-time ministry. And when I transitioned out of church planting and into working in schools, one of the reasons I was in the valley was because I had tied my identity to my job. Like, even though my job was a good thing, preaching and leading worship and Bible studies and serving and helping to, to galvanize folks in those kinds of good things and being a part of the church. Like, even though my job dealt with good stuff, I had tied my identity to it, and I didn't realize it until I wasn't doing it anymore. And, and the way the Lord has dealt with me since then and the way He's brought me through death, burial, and resurrection myself is that He has shown me that my work in schools matters. Like, somebody thought it was a good idea to put me in charge of a school with 600 kids and 35 adults. And I have the, the privilege of serving those people, of serving those families, and of serving that community in the way that Jesus serves us. And so my work, it, it matters. Like making sure that classes are engaging and that kids want to be a part of them and that learning experiences are meaningful and that teachers feel valued and that teachers are willing to take risks for the benefit of kids. Like all of these things are kingdom attributes that matter. The way that we live in our neighborhood, it, it matters. Like the fact that my wife would open our living room to anybody at any time, it matters because we're representing the kingdom of God in the neighborhood in which he's placed us. The way that we treat each other in our marriage and the way that we treat our children, it matters. We don't do it perfectly all the time, but it matters because we're growing together as our own community of Jesus. And so wherever it is that you find yourself, whatever workplace, whatever school, whatever neighborhood, wherever it is that you go, you're a carrier of the gospel, you're a carrier of Jesus, and the work that you do matters. When you're kind to someone, it's not just because you're a nice person. I'm sure you're a nice person, but you're kind to someone because at one time when you weren't deserving of kindness, he was kind to you. And so through your kindness to others, you are actually representing Jesus and bringing folks to him and giving folks a glimpse of who he is and what's he, what he's up to in the world. So kingdom mission here in Acts 11, episode four, it matters because we have stuff to do in the kingdom of God. I love old hymns but I'm not, I'm not waiting to fly away. Jesus has me here, and we've got stuff to do, bringing glory to him and showing others who he is. Which brings me to episode five, Acts 26, kingdom hope. And for all of you theology buffs, I've got eschatological hope in parentheses just for fun. Um, kingdom hope. So we're joining Jesus in turning the eyes of the world from darkness 
to light, from the power of Satan to God. We believe and behave as if God's new creation is here, even though we know it is not yet. We practice the presence of Jesus by living in the kingdom now. One day Jesus will make all things new, and even though we have not seen it yet in full, we live into that reality now. I really don't know why I did it, but I kind of thought it would be fun, I guess. The first time I addressed my new staff, I tried to encourage them by telling them that they remind me of an old story that was told of a wild scientist and a high school kid. And so just like the wild scientist and the high school kid in this story, they go into the future and things that they do in the future, they bring back to the present. I told my staff that, that they remind me of that story because what they do is they go into the future of education and they take educational experiences and they take STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math-oriented things, and they bring them into the present for our kids right now. And I believe that that is the life that we live as followers of Jesus. We are going into the future of the way things will be when the world is set to rights for good, and we're bringing those things into the present right now and saying, this is what God looks like. Ain't he good? We are going into where we know the story is headed and we're bringing the end into the present as our participation in helping the end unfold. This is the graciousness of Jesus that he allows us and, and beckons to us to join him in this life. And so we've got episode five, Kingdom Hope. We believe that Jesus is making all things new and that he's reconciling the world into himself. himself sorry about that. And... We have the joy of being a part of that. Now, that was just my first suggestion coming out of the five episodes that we looked at. My second suggestion is this. In each of the five episodes, Luke 4, John 12, Acts 2, Acts 11, and Acts 26, in each of those episodes, Jesus is doing something new. In the Luke 4 passage, He's announcing new good news, right? I'm the fulfillment. All of those years of waiting, of wondering, is God really going to be faithful to his promises? It's fulfilled in me. And so I'm bringing newness in the form of release from captivity, sight for the blind, freedom and favor of the Lord. We've got episode two where Jesus in John 12, he's bringing about new life, right? Death produces life. In fact, a plentiful harvest of lives. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of lives. Jesus, in John 12, episode 2, is bringing newness of life. In episode 3, Acts chapter 2, Jesus has formed, has launched a new community, and this community is rooted in his identity, in his characteristics, in his love. As I mentioned earlier, right under the nose of the Roman Empire, this subversive community loves its enemies, prays for people who persecutes them, and shares with anyone who's in need. Episode 4, they were first called Christians at Antioch. You knew I had to work that in there today, right? Episode 4, Acts chapter 11, the believers are given a new name their new name is now Little Jesuses, Little Christs. I can't imagine a more blessed thing to be called than a Little Jesus. I mean, all of our old names, Fearful, Wanderer, Uncertain, 
Those names are now in the past. The old has gone and the new has come, and our new name is Little Christ. One of my favorite authors, Alan Hirsch, he says, if we're going to impact our world in the name of Jesus, it will be because people like you and me took action in the power of the Spirit. Ever since the mission and ministry of Jesus, God has not stopped calling for a movement of little Jesuses to follow him into the world and unleash the remarkable redemptive genius that lies in the very message that we carry. Episode 4, Acts 11, he gives us a new name, and our new name is Little Jesus. Episode 5, in Acts 26, Paul, in telling his story, reveals another newness that Jesus is bringing, and that is new hope. Again, this story is headed somewhere. And in the midst of whatever struggle, whatever strife, whatever, whatever pain, whatever lament, at the end of the year, as you reflect back on 2017, even the parts of that year that you don't want to reflect on, Jesus was and is there. And every day he brings new hope that can only be found in him. The hope of turning from darkness to light. The hope of turning from the power of Satan to God. And this is the hope that he invites us to join with him in sharing with the world. For he is indeed making all things new. So, as we reflect back on 2017 and look ahead to the new year, here's the question I believe Jesus to be asking in the midst of these five episodes. Where do you need him to do something new in you? Where do you need Jesus' newness as you enter the next episode of life with him and this community for the sake of others? Where do you need Jesus bringing something new? I'm going to ask worship team and prayer team to come forward, and uh, the rest of us, if you would, please stand. And we're just going to take a few moments to silently reflect on this question. Where do you need Jesus' newness as you enter the next episode of life with him and this community for the sake of others? That's part of the good news, isn't it? The story is still unfolding. Pages are still turning. New chapters are still being written. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of life. So let's silently reflect on this question. Where do you need Jesus's newness? Jesus, we praise your name, for there is no one like you. King of kings and Lord of lords, you are welcome in this place. We thank you for your story and the constant invitation to join you in bringing about new creation in us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city. We thank you that your work knows no bounds and that your love spreads all across the world. And so we desire, God, for newness in our hearts. Would you show us where you desire to form us to look, think, act, feel, and live more like you? In response to the newness question this morning, we've got friends here available to pray with you, 
over you, alongside you. So we'll take these moments to respond.